bring us to the end of chapter 6. Um, <clears throat> just a note on that. Um, I think it's been about six months since we have been, um, since we began the Gospel of Mark. And what we're going to do, sometimes I've done this, you've probably noticed in the past, throughout the summer, take a little bit of a break from our year-long series. And so we're actually going to, when we finish up today, chapter 6, we're going to take what I call a summer series um, on the local church, on how we live in response to it, how we offer ourselves to the Lord um, in every way. Uh, it'll be a summer series on the one chapter of Romans chapter 12, and I am excited about that, which will be about four to six weeks, just so that you are aware of that. I do know that uh, James Montgomery Boyce preached through the book of um, Romans at 10th Press. I think it took him six and a half years to get through the book of Romans. So, so no whining on how long it's been in the Gospel of Mark uh, so far, okay? Um, last week, we look at Jesus, the Good Shepherd, provides. Today, we look at Jesus, the Good Shepherd, protects. And I love that song that we just sang. Matt, thank you and the rest of the worship team for leading us. How we need the Lord. How I need the Lord every single moment of every single day. Uh, we will get a glimpse of, of how the Lord uh, ministers to us, just as he did to the disciples in this particular text, um, in a personal, um, in an amazing way. I trust everyone had a good week. We need to continue to be praying for our country. Um, just, just more violence and upheaval and bloodshed and, and tension. A couple weeks ago, we're concerned about a threat from outside of our country. And this week, we're reminded that even with inside of our own country, people can kill uh, one another. We, we must be in prayer. We also must view society, view our culture, the context that we are living in through what I call the glass of the gospel. There is no other hope. There is no other way to minister apart through the hope of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why don't we bow our heads? We'll pray this morning as we lift up um, our time together and ask for the Lord's help as we learn. <clears throat> Father, we do come into your presence this morning and we, we recognize your authority over us. We are most grateful for your love that has been demonstrated to us through the offering of your own son, Jesus, the Messiah, to suffer, to take the full weight of your wrath, and to die in, in a place that we deserve to die because of our own sin. Father, we recognize that we, in and of ourselves, fall desperately short. But we thank you, Lord, that we can have communion, close connection and communication with you through the shed blood and through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we rejoice in the work of Christ. I pray, Lord, this morning that we would see you. What we see your hand and the evidence all around, and yet, Lord, I know that I am guilty. I believe all of us are that we don't, we don't pause, we don't stop to see you in all of your fullness and all of your glory. And God, help us to, to do that this morning and to hear 
and to learn this morning from your word. <clears throat> I do, Lord, pray for our country that we are living in. We are blessed in amazing ways with unbelievable freedoms and graces. But, Lord, it is, it, in many respects, in, in, in complete chaos. And people live in confusion and fear. And, God, in, in the midst of that, you've called us to minister the hope that exists, the, print, the, the peace that is offered through the Prince of Peace. Help us, Lord, to do that and to do that well. I pray, Lord, for every single person that's here today, man, woman, child, that you would minister to their hearts. Lord, meet them where they are at and, and speak to them. And may we, your servants here, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear a word from you. We ask this in the strong and powerful name of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Okay, <clears throat> throughout the, the book of Mark, we have seen Jesus being revealed as God. Okay, he is fully God. <clears throat> he has been showing us this and proving this to us through what? Through the entire book, messages, preaching messages of hope, and we've seen repeatedly miracles of healing. Um, we, we've just come off of one of the biggest miracles that Jesus has performed in the entire book so far. The sheer size of it, if you recall from last week, is just staggering. There's 5,000 men. It's actually estimated to be a, a, a crowd of twenty to 25,000 people that have been fed all from a little boy's lunch of what? Five loaves and two fishes. Uh, up to that point, we have seen 10 miracles. God, in a sense, revealing himself through the flesh of man, Jesus, in 10 miracles. But we have to remember that there are limits to what miracles can accomplish. People are amazed at what they are seeing, but being amazed and being redeemed are two very, very different things. Sure, we've come off a, a week where we have seen thousands of people who have enjoyed the greatest bread and greatest fish they've ever eaten, that's ever existed, probably since the Garden of Eden. They ate bread that was, 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 was from wheat that never grew. They ate fish that never swam, that never were caught. And their, their, their bodies, their bellies, what, are stuffed, where it was gorged. Their, their, their bellies are satisfied, but their souls are still starving. They're still looking for something. And we see that the very next day when they went following Jesus, looking for, not, not for him, they're looking for more food. What happens is the exact same thing takes place today, where, where every one of us, matter of fact, we live in a country where people see and receive the miracles of God's grace all over the place. The very fact that your heart continues to beat every single day without missing is a miracle at the hand of God. And yet what happens is that although we enjoy sight and breath and beauty and creation around us and freedom and food and, and flavors, and oh, how we love food and flavors, we know that, that souls are still starving. They're still searching for God. Spiritually, spiritually, <clears throat> everywhere you look, go across to your neighbor, across the street, there are people that are spiritually dead and blind. And the only way 
that they will ever see, that they will ever be alive, is in Christ and through Christ and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there is no doubt that people are wowed by the display of Jesus' power. But that is not why Jesus came. Why did Jesus come? We go all the way back to Mark chapter 2 in the early part of our study. Jesus came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's the purpose. We have to keep that in, in laser view of why Jesus came. To call people to repentance. You know that our, our son Seth has been living and, and teaching in northern Iraq, and he's, he's been learning the language slowly and painfully, uh, Badini Kurdish. And, and the way that he learns oftentimes, yes, he takes classes, but he, he's immersed in the culture where he literally sits at cafes and, and by ordering from the menu, he begins to converse by sitting and listening to conversation and even riding in a taxi every single day he's got to take to work. And what he has found is that there's one particular word that when he's, he's, he's in the, the, the taxi, he has to tell the taxi driver oftentimes, he, he pronounces it like this, bazivra, bazivra. He tells his taxi driver, bazivra. And, and it means take a U-turn right there, U-turn, turn around, bazivra. You're going the wrong direction. We need to be going this way. What he found is that as he was examining and searching the gospel of, of Mark and in chapter 2, when it uses this word that Jesus calls people to what? In, in Kurdish, it's, it's Pazizra. Jesus calls people to go the opposite direction that we are presently heading. You realize that, that every single day, even as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have still got to be people who repent from our sins every single day. We have a constant bend towards. And that's why we must always turn from our sin and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' ministry, we know that he has been teaching and he has been healing spiritually. And he's been doing it through this message that what? He's going to establish a kingdom. My kingdom, Jesus says, the kingdom of God. Many people, and I would, I would actually say most people that were listening to Jesus, they, they just didn't get the message. They, they didn't, what do, you, what do you mean by this king? They, they, they never saw it as a personal heart issue. They always saw it as a societal issue. Listening to Jesus establish his kingdom, thinking what? That, that Jesus was going to be the Messiah, that he, that he, he wrecks and he, he runs over, that he rules the Roman Empire, that in a sense, what? The oppressive occupation will no longer exist and, and Jesus will free them from that. And that's, that's not what it is. People could not get it. Even those closest to him, the disciples couldn't get it. Until... Until this text right here. This text today, it's as if what? The, the blinders are coming off the disciples. And for the first time, they've been following, they've been learning, they've been obedient. For the first time, they actually begin to understand who Jesus is in all of his glory. 
And, and, and I think that is perfectly appropriate because we like, well, we know Jesus and we know he died on the cross, but, but we don't recognize him in all of his glory. And we, we, need, we need texts and times like this, moments, to fully get that and understand that. The disciples were what? They, they, were, they were the ones who were going to be the leading influence to propel what? The kingdom of God forward. The, the leading voice. You realize that that's your voice and my voice today? Do you realize it's us? We've got to get a glimpse of God in order to offer what? The message of the Messiah. I read in one commentator this, this week, it says that night they went, speaking of the disciples, they went from fear to faith. That night they went from confusion to confession. And that night they went from wandering to worshiping. That's my prayer for us this morning, for us as a church, that, that we move to a place, what? Of true confession, of true faith, and of true worship. Here it is. We pick it up in chapter 6, verse 45 through 56. Excuse me. Okay. Immediately, there's that word. There's that word. Mark uses it over and over and over again, moving very quickly. Immediately he made, speaking of Jesus, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. And they cried out, for they all saw him and, and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored at the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garments. And as many as touched it were made well. Three points I want to give you to you this morning. Um, the first one is this. Jesus prays with his Father and seeks communion. Number one, Jesus prays with his Father and seeks communion. The text begins with the same word that, that Mark has used over and over He's taking snapshots as he moves through the ministry, the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ immediately. 
It says what? After the, the miracle, the massive miracle of the bread and the fishes, it says immediately he made his disciples leave. What's interesting is even this phrase, he made them leave. In the King James, the old King James, it says that he constrained them. It's the Greek word anagazo. It means to force, to insist, or to demand. Wait a minute. He's forcing his disciples to leave. Obviously, they did not want to go anywhere. If you remember the state of exhaustion they were in, now, if you remember as well what had just happened, think of a crowd, 10 to 25, excuse me, 20 to 25,000 people. The disciples are the ones who are handing out all of the best food that they've ever eaten. Now, now think about you or I. You ever meet a, probably, you ever meet a rock star before? Like probably Craig Brady's the closest we have to a rock star, I think. I, I, would th- I would imagine that these disciples were at a place of like rock star status. They're the ones that, that are handing out. That no doubt that there are what? There are high fives going on. They are slapping one another on the back. They love this. They are caught up in kind of the excitement, the euphoria of the crowds. And they, they don't want to go anywhere. That's why Jesus has to use this phrase. Yeah, it's good stuff happening right here. Let's hang here for a while. No, Jesus says, you must go. I will make you go. Jesus wanted them separated from the crowd. He wanted them gone. You you, you don't need to be here. What, What is happening here? This is not good for you. Rather go over to Bethsaida. It says in John chapter 6, remember three of the four gospels record this particular miracle. John chapter 6 says they actually go over to Capernaum. What I want you to think is along the coast, there's Bethsaida right next to Bethsaida's Capernaum. It says that he dismissed the crowd. I think that's rather interesting. Remember, 20 to 25,000 people, uh, you're dismissed. Uh, There is an element of authority here that you who are school teachers would just love to demonstrate. 25,000 people, you can go now, and apparently they began to disperse. It says that in verse 46, he, speaking of Jesus, went up on the mountain to pray. No doubt there is intentional mention here of what Jesus desires to do and where Jesus desires to go. To be on his knees in prayer. And I don't, I don't think it's a stretch to say that there is an anxiousness here, that there is an eagerness here to commune with his heavenly Father. What, what, just pause on that for a moment. We'll continue with the narrative. What, what an example for you and I as we seek to simply faithfully serve to have an eagerness and an anxiousness I need to, I must I have to get alone and I have to commune do you have moments like that where where I I just need the noise around me to stop and I need Jesus is modeling ministry here I believe Jesus what on his knees 
and prayer, certainly communing with his father, but he was also, he, he just came from a massive crowd of people who what? Who you know, they're more interested in the food, they're more interested in the miracle than they are the Messiah. I have no doubt that Jesus is praying for the same thing that you and I need to be praying for. He is interceding on behalf of people, lost people. Perhaps he is praying that their eyes would be open, praying that, that their faith would increase, praying that they, that they would understand, that they would understand the importance of what? Of repenting, of turning from their sin. Please, Father, please open their eyes to see and hear. He's praying that they would be saved, praying that they would be safe. In, 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 in your prayer time, how focused are you on other people as opposed to what I find myself? I have a really, really long list of what Tim Boger needs today. And somewhere at the end of that list, no, it can't be like that. I, I purposely, I purposely keep in my, my Bible a list of people specifically that I'm praying for every single day. And I still allow the Holy Spirit whenever the Holy Spirit brings an individual to my mind, to my heart. I want to stop and I want to get into the habit of praying for that person. Jesus sees other people. We need to see exactly the same. First, Jesus prays with his Father and seeks communion. Secondly, Jesus sees, he goes to his disciples and offers protection. Number two, Jesus sees, he goes to his disciples and offers protection. This is by far the key part, the, the big idea of our entire narrative, our, our text today. This is where it happens. Remember, the disciples had been forced to leave, to, to leave the crowd, to go away. They're on their, their way to Bethsaida along the coast. It's about a four mile row. And they probably, because it's late into the evening, we were just giving indication of that last week, they're probably going to work their way along the coast, okay? You don't go too far off the shore, so you know where you are in order to get there. But there's this interesting detail in verses 47 and 48. The boat was out on the sea. He was alone on the land, and he saw, he saw they were making headway painfully. It's just, it's just a short little row, just around. They're on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, and they're heading to the northern tip of it. It's a short row. And he sees they're making headway painfully. John's Gospel says this in chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. It says that the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing, a fierce opposing wind. Apparently what had happened is that rather than just rowing along the coast, they had got blown off course out to the middle of the sea. As a matter of fact, it says in John 6 verse 19, they had rowed three to four miles, which is the distance that you, they, they needed to go, but they're in the opposite direction. They're blown out to the middle. Matthew's gospel adds this in chapter 14 verse 24. The boat by this time was a long way from land beaten by the waves, for the waves were against them. So get the picture before. I don't know how much boating you've ever done before. 
I'm sure, though, that in this particular part of the country, you've all spent some time in a kayak, and you've tried it, probably unsuccessfully, like me, rowing upstream. We can all float a kayak. I mean, sorry, not to tell you, anybody can do that. Just don't tip it over, okay? Keep the light. And it's pretty simple. Do you ever try to turn and say, how, how far can I go upstream? This is the picture that's happening. It is night, which means it's dark. There is a storm. They have blown far off course. And there's these two words. He, it says that he saw them. He's up on the land. There are three to four. I think there's another miracle that is happening right here. How, how far do you see with no lights in the middle of the dark? And yet, what? Jesus sees his own. What a reminder, okay? Regardless of the fact that you are really struggling, swimming against the tide, do, do you realize that your Savior... Jesus sees you, every single, every single row, every single minute. About the fourth watch of night, he came to them. Okay, the first watch is 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. The second watch is 9 p.m. to midnight. The third watch is midnight to 3 a.m. So what is this? The fourth and final watch of the night, somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. They, they probably left late evening, 7, 8 o'clock, even 9 o'clock. And they've been out there, what, for well over 6, 7, maybe even 8 hours by this time. They are wet. They are exhausted. They're blowing further and further off course. You, you ever feel like that's your life? Like, my, there's my goals. That's where I'm heading. And all of a sudden, the Lord just what? He allows us to be blown off course. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not really supposed to be over there. At this point in, in my daytimer, in my calendar of events, I'm supposed to be over there. Do you ever feel like that? And, and yet we, we see what happens here. Even in the midst of this storm, Jesus saw them. Then it says that he came to them. Why is this so significant? Who's, who's, who's in the boat here? Jesus is going to establish his kingdom. Guess who he's going to use to help establish his kingdom? These guys. You realize the entire kingdom of God is, is in a sense, what? In this little boat blown off, blown off course, bouncing around in the wind, in the choppy seas. The, these are the people that, that Jesus had called. I want you to follow me. I want you. God has selected them from others. He has patiently poured into them and invested These were the ones that God was going to use to further his kingdom. These are the 12 that will one day rule over the 12 tribes of Israel. And the whole situation is what? These guys are in serious trouble, tossing, literally tossing in the wind. There's this phrase, he he saw them, and it says he came to them walking on the sea. Just, Just... 
to, to kind of comprehend that. Every time you step into water, it kind of sinks to the bottom, right? That's kind of what happens. But not so with Jesus. Now, we know uh, of the 12 that are in the boat, at least four of them, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, are all fishermen. They are familiar with, with storms. They're familiar with this particular sea. Matter of fact, it's suggested that maybe even as many as seven of them were fishermen. And if you recall, they've been in storms before. Actually, we looked at one in the end of Mark chapter 4. They're in a terrifying storm, remember that? But Jesus was in the boat. He was in the boat at that time. This time, he's not in the boat. And so Jesus was walking toward them. And there's this phrase, he meant to walk by. That's really just a poor English rendering. Like he meant to walk by. It's like, well, he meant to go go an opposite. No, he, he actually, he meant to walk so that they could see him. He meant to walk. The word is translated alongside. So it's not like, well, I was just heading over there. You guys are drowning, but you're on your own. Good night. No, it's not that. He meant to walk by But when they saw him walking on the water, they thought they saw a ghost. The word is phantasm, where we get our word phantom from. And here's the response. A a, a boat filled with grown men, and they scream. And they cry out. For they all saw him and were terrified. The word is terrazzo. Where where it means what? To throw into panic. This boat filled with grown men and they literally are thrown into panic because of what they see walking on the water toward them. This is more than a uh, jump out of the closet, boo. Okay, It's, it's not like that. Oh, it's not just like a startle. This is a period of time where they are shrieking in Tarasso. They're screaming in terror. What, what happens when, when your little child is awoken in the middle of the night with a scary dream? Or your grandchild, what, what, what do you do? Do you yell from the other room? Go to sleep. <laughs> we want to. <laughs> no, what, what do you, you go to them. You, you go to them. Why? Because you care. And, and, and when you go to them, you show them. There, there's nothing here. Look, I, I remember, look, look under bed. There's nothing under there. Look in the closet. There's no like psycho clown with a knife in there. It's just It's not there. I'm here. I'm with you. You're safe. That's, that, that is exactly what the good shepherd does here. He, he shows, he comes. There's nothing to be afraid of. I want you to see, I want you to hear the, the, the perhaps arguably the greatest words ever Spoken to bring comfort to those in the midst of fear. Words spoken to bring what? Calm in the midst 
of a storm. Perhaps words even this morning, right now, with wherever you are at or whatever you are facing. You need to be reminded about the good shepherd who protects his own. But immediately, there's that word again. He didn't say, hey, how you guys doing? You hanging in there? No, 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 no. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, take heart. Do not be afraid. And I love his identifying praise here. His identifying pronoun. It is I. Some, some, some translations say, instead of take heart, uh, same word, take courage. Don't, don't be afraid. Why? Because I am here. Jesus reveals himself and when he is present, and we know he is present everywhere, he sees you, uh, there is what? There is no reason to fear. No reason to be afraid. Eight times, eight times in the Bible this phrase is used in the New Testament. Excuse me. It says, take heart seven times Jesus is using the phrase in the Gospels that he says, take take courage, take heart. One time in the book of Acts in chapter 23, verse 11, Jesus actually speaks to Paul and says, take courage. You're going to end up there. Don't worry about it. I'm with you. Finally, it says, it says what? He got into the boat. He got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they, they didn't understand about the loaves. But their hearts were hardened. Uh, up to this point, I want you to understand, they have been following Jesus. They've been sitting at his feet. They've been listening to him. Certainly gaining knowledge and wisdom. No doubt about that. But up to this point, they, they, they didn't get it. They didn't get the kingdom of God. They didn't get him. You would have thought the absolutely miraculous provision of loaves and fish for thousands Literally out of what? Out of nothing. You would have thought that maybe that would have made the difference. Jesus had just shown everyone that he was the good shepherd. He will take care of you. He will provide. He will feed. That he's not going to abandon you in the hour of need. He's not going to forget you. But that, that wasn't the case. Up to this point, literally, they, they should have been trusting but instead they were absolutely terrified. Then this is where the whole this is where the whole corner is turned. But when the storm ceased, Jesus got into the boat and and literally it was as if what blinders were taken off. I read um, even this morning in our thirty one days of prayer, remember that Paul had like scales came off his eyes and he saw for the first time. And that's what happened here. They saw Jesus. Yes, they had, they had known that he had power over demons and diseases and death. We've seen that all the way through. But now they see that he cares for them personally. He loves them and he protects them. Has, is that, has it ever happened to you? And I, and I pray that it does. Well, you've heard something over and over and over and over and over again. Jesus loves me, this I know. And we repeat that. And yet we don't pause on the truth that he loves you. 
as a kid in Sunday school, I memorized the verse. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're not your own. You're been bought with a price. Glorify God in your body and your spirit. In junior high, for some reason, I was called on, and I had to recite that verse. I'm like, I got it memorized. I, I did it back in Sunday school. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. I, I remember literally preaching on that text around 1999, 2000. Your, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God. And it wasn't until 2010. And I remember it. I was out in a field. It was at night. And I remember that God brought that verse to me. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it was just like, wow, I, I get it. My body is a temple. Of the, Holy, the Holy Spirit is in me. I, I'm, I'm not even my own because he has purchased me. This, this, He's bought me. And I am to glorify Him with every part of me. And I remember the difference. That, that's, that's what we need. We don't just need you to hear another phrase, another verse. We need for you to see, to get it. This is exactly the case of what happens right here with these disciples. Matthew's gospel actually records it like this in chapter 14, verse 33. Those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly or certainly, you are the Son of God. Matthew's gospel has another angle. This is the first reference, what, that the disciples are falling on their faces because they know who they are in the presence of. You've seen miracles all over the place. You've seen miracles all over the place. You are a miracle. And yet for some reason, it's like, could I have more bread, please? Yeah, I, I really, really like those fish. Could I, could I have some more fish, please? And, and, and it's, it's all about what we get as opposed to falling on and truly worshiping Jesus for who he is. Maybe as the blinders came off, it was all of the things that they had taught that came just flooding back. Take heart, it is I. Maybe they remembered when Jesus was talking about how God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus. I am who I am. And maybe it all came flooding back all the times that Jesus repeated over and over again. You guys, you have such little faith. You have little faith. You have little faith. Perhaps at that moment they realized we, we really, we were terrified, screaming. We were of little faith. I, I want to think perhaps they remembered some of the, 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 the verses that Jesus quoted from the psalmist at this moment. Psalm 77, verse 19. Maybe they remembered your way was through the sea and your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. Wait, wait a minute. This is the psalmist writing hundreds and hundreds of years prior about this? Yeah, it is. Maybe the disciples remember that. Maybe they remember the words of Job in chapter 9 and verse 8. Who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled upon the waves of the sea? That's, 
the God that you and I serve. Remember, I, I said, I started, this is the night, this is the night they went from fear to faith. They went from confusion to confession. They went from wandering to worshiping. I'll note just quickly in closing here, there's an order of events. 48, he saw them. Uh, the latter part of 48, he came to them. Uh, 50, he spoke to them. Um, 51, he got into the boat with them. No, no, this is an implication. This is not the big idea of the text, but there's an amazing model of ministry here for you and I. And you're like, well, yeah, if I could walk on water. No, 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 you can't walk across the street. Goodness gracious. You, you, can, you can do that. Look, look at this. See those that are in need all around you. Go to those. Jesus came to them. Speak to them. Get in the boat with them. Yeah, but they're like unsaved and like they, like they do bad things. Well, how are they going to stop doing bad things unless you teach them about what the message of the Messiah is all about? That he came what? Sinners like you and I would repent great model of ministry that is here. You and I have a mission to be on in telling others of the one who protects us, who provides for us, who keeps us safe. Does he keep us safe from storms? No. No. There's no word of that. He keeps us safe in storms. Thirdly and finally, very quickly, Jesus heals the sick and shows compassion. It says in 53, when they crossed over, they came to land. I was like, yeah. (laughs) Uh, John's gospel says immediately the boat was on the land, which means in all honesty, this is a little freakish. Uh, Jesus teleported them from the middle of the lake to land. There is another miracle here. And just the final verses are returned to the ministry, literally to the masses that Jesus was probably doing, and perhaps this time on a larger scale than ever before. People were bringing their sick people in their beds wherever they heard he was, imploring him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. As many as touch him were healed. One, one would think at this volume and at this pace that Jesus would tire, that Jesus would turn away, but he does not. Why? Because he shows constant compassion. And he cares for people. That's where we that's where we want to get off the boat. We, we, we too easily stop caring for the lost that literally live in houses around this very building, that walk the streets in little downtown Lock Haven. And we, we lose compassion for them. And we can't do that if we claim to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to tell them of Jesus, who he truly is, the Son of God and the Savior of all mankind. And we see how he ministers to us, to those that he loves, and how we are to minister to those around us. Father, we love you. We pause and I'm amazed at the way that you have shown care. 
Lord, help us to do the same and help us to see you for who you are. Lord, you, you are everything, everything. We thank you for rescuing us, for calling us to repentance. May, be re, may we be reminded anew about the importance of doing that every day. We love you. In your name we pray. Stand with us, please, as we close. And we'll go out just celebrating the good.